My name is Kurt McDonald. I'm one of the pastors at Gospel Community Church. I want to talk with you today about the Training Day podcast. That's right, the Training Day podcast. The Training Day podcast exists to continue your learning so that you can be equipped for every good work in every day life. Our hope with the Training Day podcast is to create a resource library for you, your friends, your family, uh, whether you've been a believer for many years, new to the faith, or not a Christian at all. We're hoping that this will be a resource library for you so that you can learn what it looks like to take the gospel of Jesus Christ and land it in everyday life. So we want you to subscribe to our podcast. Wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find us there on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever. You can also find us on our YouTube channel, The Training Day Podcast, or our website, trainingdaypod.com. So please go subscribe and let's grow together in Christ. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives. Church, and it is my absolute joy to you this morning to bring to you the very word of God that we may dine on it. Have you ever been hungry? Some of you might be right now, your belly's already preparing itself for the meal, which is lunch. Uh, but in fact, our bodies are designed to be nourished several times a day. Uh, First, it starts out as hunger pains. Our, our body's telling us, all right, it's, it, it's getting to be time. It starts out with hunger pains. Those hunger pains are, are small, and they're just uncomfortable, and our belly's rumbling and grumbling around. But then as the day goes on and we do not have nourishment, those hunger pains turn into slightly more intense contractions of our stomach. If ignored, these slightly more painful contractions of our stomach turn to dizziness, fatigue, and loss of brain function later on in the day. Uh, these are all signs that our body is giving us that it needs to be nourished. And all of these can occur in the context of just one day. But how many of you have gone more than just one day without food? Probably, okay, Probably not many of us in this room, right? Not many of us have gone more than a day or an extended period or considered yourself starving unless you're my children, and my children are always starving. So, we got more. All the kids are starving. So we have a difference then between being hungry and being starving. Starvation occurs when less calories are consumed than needed to continue continue normal body functions. During the course of starvation, the body will begin to consume itself. First, fat stores are consumed. And then once all of our fat stores are consumed, the body then begins to consume our muscle, our heart muscle, 
and our lung muscle and the muscle on our bones. And if this condition progresses without food, death can result in 40 to about 65 days. But what is interesting about starvation is after about 24 to 48 hours, you don't feel the hunger pains anymore. Your, your, your body is being satisfied, but it's being satisfied upon itself as you're eating your own muscle, heart, and, and lungs. And your body is no longer giving you those signs that you need to nourish yourself. Your body is being nourished, but it leads to death. This process is the same in our spiritual life. Have you ever been spiritually hungry? For, for many of us, this can equate to the feeling that you experienced at, the, experienced at the conception of your faith in Christ. You felt the hunger as you learned of a perfect uh, God who was demanding of you perfect obedience to his law. You felt the pains of conviction as you recognized that you did not meet those requirements. And you began to salivate as you learned of Jesus through his perfect life and atoning death on the cross did meet those demands and you desired the meal that was Christ. And as you set upon your journey with Christ as your savior, you're hungry for more and more and more of his presence and of his blessings and of his joy. It's described as being on fire or all in. We have experienced grace in such a personal way so as to overflow with thanksgiving as if sitting down to eat at a banquet after going days without food. But also for many of us in the room, we've experienced a waning of that desire, right? We, we, we're, we've either not experienced the first desire that caused us to uh, desire Christ for our salvation, or many of us in here may have that desire, that thanksgiving, that memory of your deep hunger. Maybe it's faded into the past, and you are now left to consume yourself with whatever you have within you. But, but if you are not individually dining on the goodness of Christ through the word and through prayer, then you will continue to waste away. And if the church isn't dining on Christ, then the church members will consume one another and the church will crumble. The body is not meant to be consumed. We are meant to eat and to drink from without the body, both physically and spiritually. Food fills our bellies, but without food, we will consume ourselves to our death. Last week, we heard Paul deride the, Christ, the Corinthian church for gorging themselves on the Lord's Supper. It was this gorging and mishandling of the communion that led to much disunity in the church. Some were full and drunk, while others were hungry and without the wine. Groups of like-minded Christians were leaving without the fellowship because of people in the church who didn't want to be around those who are different. Those who are different. We don't want to fall into that rhythm of disorder and disobedience in God's church. We must therefore heed Paul's words and warning from the previous verses against disunity in the church. 
the Lord's Supper is not to satisfy your spiritual hunger, but or your physical hunger, but your spiritual hunger. And it is not used to divide, but to unite. Do you remember being spiritually hungry? Are, are you spiritually hungry today? Then this morning, Paul invites us to a table to dine. And this is going to be the thread by which we travel through this verse. Listen, it'll be on the screen. To dine on the body and blood of Christ because it is the only meal that will satisfy our souls and unify the church. Let's pick up in verse 23 where Paul begins this morning. He says this, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. We see Paul is here making a reverse sandwich in this section of the Lord's Supper. You know what I'm talking about, a sandwich, where when you are giving a critique of someone, you give them a compliment, followed by the critique, followed by a statement that builds them up, that, that the sandwich. Um, in chapter 11, Paul is doing the opposite. And for good reason, division and disunity in the Corinthian church threatened to dismantle it and render it useless. Therefore, Paul is using the, I told you. I'm telling you again. I done told you method. Verses 17 through 22, the previous verses, are filled with the church's abuses of this ordinance. In fact, Paul says, I do not commend you because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. Their gathering together was a display of their division, not of their unity. And they were hungry, but not for the meal that was to be partaken. He says that when they come together to eat the Lord's Supper, it's not even the Lord's Supper that they are eating. You see, when the church does not dine on Christ, it consumes itself. Their behavior was a mockery of the gospel. And a display to the world around them that Christianity is no different from the outside world. The members were using their status to consume the less wealthy. They were using their differences to consume the weaker brother. They were partaking in the festivals and the customs of their pagan city to fill their bellies. Not Christ! Not His body and not His blood. They did not, this did not sit well with Paul having built this church upon the rock that was Christ, the church was in starvation mode, consuming itself despite him. So what did he deliver to them first? How did Paul preach and teach to them? Well, that's found in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2. It says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Christ Jesus and Him crucified. Christ and Him crucified. It's the body and the blood. Paul preached to them the body and the blood. Paul taught that the God-man, Jesus Christ, lived a perfect and sinless life in obedience to the law of God, thus fulfilling the demands for His righteousness. Also that Jesus was falsely tried, beaten and broken and hung on a cross to die. But that on a cross he became a substitute for God's believing children, dying in their place and for their sins, thus providing atonement for their sins. 
He is the fulfillment of the old covenant and the establishment of a new one where grace is poured out on all that believe and righteousness that was never attainable under the old covenant is now, has now become attainful, attainable through the work of Jesus on the cross. What else is there to preach? What else is there? Christ and Him crucified is the soul-satisfying meal meant to build the church and to sustain it. Paul goes a step further when he says, I received from the Lord. Well, how and what he received isn't said specifically. He doesn't say that. But we do know that this letter to the Corinthians was written before the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So he didn't get it from there. And the missionary trip that he went on to Corinth was made before he had actually met with Peter and the other disciples at Jerusalem. Therefore, we must ascertain that Paul received specifically as a special revelation from the Lord his gospel and the institution of his ordinances. The words taught and the ordinances upheld in the church were not to be, or to be disobeyed, nor made to mean nothing because they were Christ's words and His ordinances. And Christ wants the church to be one body that dines upon Himself, unified in their hunger for Him and unified in their satisfaction of Him. You see, what Paul was preaching is our unity. We are not unified in our political affiliations. That's obvious. That's obvious. We are not unified in our gender, nor our race, nor our annual income. We have similarities and differences, yes, but they do not unify us nor nourish our body. Our unity as believers is in the blood-bought covenant of grace of God that we enter into when we place Jesus Christ as our Savior and our King. So as we enter into this next section of the text, the middle of the condemnation sandwich that Paul is delivering to the Corinthians, we must keep in mind that Paul is lifting up to the Corinthians and to us the remembrance of the most central part of the gospel that unifies us. Christ died for sinners. It is the meal that satisfies our soul and unifies the church. So come and feast as we move into the recounting of the Last Supper between Jesus and his disciples. Paul starts in the ending part of verse 23 when he says, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me instituted the night before his death, Christ dines with his inner circle of friends. Yet disunity was lurking about. The whole of Jesus' ministry was about to be seemingly upended by betrayal, deceit, and disunity. Because shortly after the meal, and you know the story, shortly after the meal, Judas Iscariot, one of his twelve, one of his inner circle of disciples, would betray Jesus and sell Jesus to the Jewish authorities for pieces of silver. 
Yet this was God's plan. And it was a good plan. We know it was a good plan because it led to Good Friday, which gives the Christian hope. Do you also see the model of a relationship that Christ sets as an, as an example for his church? Jesus is faithful even in the face of unfaithfulness. Jesus is working for the good even while being hurt for, by his closest friend. Why do we in God's church quarrel? Why do we snap at one another? Why are we slow to give the benefit of the doubt? Why are we slow to show grace and mercy and patience and gentleness with one another? I honestly believe that if we were filled with Christ, we wouldn't consume one another. Yet, we would follow after Christ who pursues us even when we have wronged Him. So at this table, in the middle of the supper, Christ takes the bread. He takes the bread and shows it to his disciples. This is a representation of my body. His body is nourishment. His body fills us. The bread was not his literal body. The bread does not become his literal body. The bread that Jesus held in his hands and the bread that we eat today is a representation of his body and it was meant to be consumed in way of remembrance of the meal that is his broken body. And he knew this. You see, Jesus had already told them. Let's go to John 6, 35, where Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall not thirst. You see, Jesus is meant to be consumed. Bread is for the body to provide nourishment. Jesus is the bread of life. So what does this mean? It means we first take him as our Lord and Savior, accepting his free gift of grace. Then we continue in our lives. We dine on the word that tells us about him. We dine on the humbling beauty of prayer that puts us in his presence. And we revel in the glories of his past and his present and his future grace. It is by grace you have been saved. It is by grace that minute by minute you are sustained. And it is by grace in his there is, by grace, you can move minute by minute into his future grace. Jesus was so bold to say that to dine on him, you would not hunger or not thirst. This is because to do so keeps spiritual starvation far away. And chew on this, pun intended. You can tell when someone has not been dining on Christ. Or so, when someone has been dining on Christ. I'll get to the other next. You can. When our spirit is full of Christ, we are more like him. We are more willing to be patient with the people around us that are just as flawed as we are. We are more likely to look through gospel lenses when viewing a situation. And we are much more apt to put others first. All of these are when we are full with Christ. However, when we are spiritually starving, that is just as evident. We consume each other by only taking from them and never giving. 
We consume our family by using them for what they can do for us and how they make us look. We consume the world by grasping anything that will fill the void that's inside of us to make us feel happy and full. Unfortunately, and and I don't have to tell you this because you already know, feeding on these things will only lead to advanced spiritual starvation where we don't feel it anymore, where that conviction is gone. And we lead our lives starving. And then we die. So Jesus took the bread, raised it up to his disciples, and then he gave thanks and he broke the bread. Jesus raised up the bread which represented his body and gave thanks to the Father, knowing that it was the Father's will that he would be sent on a course towards death. What a display of unity with the Father. What a display of obedience to His will. Are we able to follow this example when we are starved? Can you give thanks to God in the season of great sacrifice? This will come on the screen. When we are dining on Christ, we can praise God despite our current situation. Maybe you were being used in a mighty way, but feeling the weight of responsibility. Dine on Christ for steadfastness. Or you were walking in a season of the unknown. Dine on the promises of Christ. Or maybe your life is broken and busted up and you are without your way. Dine on Christ because His grace is sufficient for you and His power is made perfect in your weakness. Next, he takes the bread that he's blessed and he breaks it. He symbolically breaks the bread, showing that it must be that he died. He says, in effect, I just broke the bread and tomorrow I will break my body. What would that mean? It means what Jesus said in John 10, 17 and 18. This won't come up on the screen. Jesus says, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. There is good news today. Good news. If he lays down his life, he takes it up again. And if he breaks his body, he will mend it and he will rise and he will defeat Satan. He will defeat Satan. Death, and he will defeat the sin that lives in your life. Because Jesus says, This is my body, which is for you. Christ's broken, bruised, torn, and tattered body was for his disciples. It was for his believers. It is for you today. At the supper, Christ symbolically takes bread, gives thanks, and breaks it, then distributes it. To be consumed, to be eaten, to nourish his believers, his body. Practically speaking, we must not consume one another. The body is not meant to be consumed. That is what is done in the world. The world consumes others for what they can provide for us. You are not of the world and your appetite must not be for the things of the world. Christ gives us the bread of life, which is his body. He gives it to us that we may dine upon it and be filled individually 
and corporately as his body, unified by a sacrifice. Moving on, he says, in verse 25, in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. After the meal was complete, Jesus takes the wine from the table in his hand and again makes a profound statement. He says this, the wine in the cup represents my blood. This is the new covenant. Well, blood is part of a covenant. That part isn't new. Blood was part of the old covenant. The sacrificial system goes back to the laws that Moses was given by God. Under that system, the blood of an animal was shed for the cleansing of sins and the purification of those who wanted to be in God's presence. The problem was it was repeated again and again and again and again. Every time, every time, every time had to be repeated. Sinners would go to the temple in order to hand over the prescribed animals for the offense of their sins, whether it be a dove or a lamb or bulls or a sheep. And these were killed in accordance to Jewish sacrificial practices in order to make the sinner clean. Most important on the Jewish calendar was the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur. This day is for the atonements of the sins of the entire nation of Israel. Multiple sacrifices were made, but what sticks out is the goats. There was two of them. One goat was killed for the atonement of sins, for the cleansing of the nation. The other one, the scapegoat, the high priest spoke the sins of the nation upon his head and released him into the wilderness, that he would take the sins Far away. So let's review. Under the old covenant, the sacrifices had to be renewed annually or anytime one sought to be in the presence of God because of the limited ability of the blood. The blood of animals does not cleanse to the uttermost. The blood of animals was only used to return the sinful to zero sum, meaning one more sin would plunge someone back into uncleanness or into judgment. Under the new covenant, inaugurated by Christ on the cross, His blood that was shed would be the blood that cleanses once and for all. Because His sinless life fulfilled the Old Testament and the requirements of God, and because His blood is that of the God-man, then the atoning work on the cross where He shed His blood can assuage the wrath of God. God's wrath was placed on Christ instead of you when He hung on the cross and His blood was shed. It cleanses us of all of our sin, past, present, and future. We are no longer brought back to zero sum, but we are brought to righteous because of Christ. Because on the cross, because of the great exchange, Christ takes our uncleanness and nails it to His cross. And as He bleeds out, His righteousness is placed on us so that we are no longer at zero sum, but those who place their faith in Christ are considered righteous and can come all the time into the presence of God. There is good news today. Therefore, we take the communion wine or juice and drink it in remembrance of the inauguration of a much, much, much better covenant with God through the shed blood of Christ, which is represented by the wine. Verse 26. 
For as some for as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Clearly, there is no prescribed calendar or intervals for this ordinance. It doesn't say annually like the Passover, and it doesn't say quarterly, and it doesn't say monthly, and it doesn't say weekly. Paul does not describe to this meal an interval, only that you do it as often as you come. But it also seems that it was taken regularly in the Corinthian church as part of the church service. So Paul doesn't say, in the future, when you, when you take the, the bread and drink of the cup, and he doesn't say, when that time comes again, but rather as often, which seems to point to a repeated rhythm of partaking. At Gospel Community Church, we partake in the Lord's Supper every week for a few reasons. One, we're forgetful. We are forgetful people. I am chief among you. We get busy with work and life and ministry. Our minds are busy just trying to make it like from home or from work to home. My mind is just a jumble. I go to Vox someone and I have to apologize for the Vox and say, don't listen to that because it's incoherent and doesn't make sense because my mind is messed up through the week. And I need to come back to this meal that we dine upon that fills me back up. Two, we want to remain hungry. We want at Gospel Community Church for our members and those that visit to remain hungry for the meal. The meal is the body and the blood of Christ. The meal is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And it's preached every week here at Gospel Community Church. Because we want to remain hungry. And finally, it is the center of our unity. It is the center of our unity, which is the gospel. It is us demonstrating that we are united under the grace of Christ that saves us and showing we are consuming something other than ourselves. We are proclaiming the gospel in action as we, in one body and of one accord, remember that act of Jesus Christ that unites us. We are acknowledging to everyone our desperate need for a Savior. It is because of our sin that we need a Savior. And Christ's sacrifice cleanses us of those sins. He also says we do this until He returns. This ordinance was forward-looking. We are in the church age, just as that Corinthian church was in the church age, looking forward to the return of Christ. This was a belief held in the early church, and it's held the same now that our Savior will return. And when He does, that will be a glorious day. Therefore, this ordinance uh, shall be upheld until that glorious day. Now we partake in shadow. And it fills us, but it's not the final meal. The final meal is perpetually, foreverlasting, dining on the present glories and wonders found in Jesus Christ and the new heavens and the new earth. During this time, we will not need a reminder of the sacrifice of Christ because we will be on the other side of glory, present with our Savior. One body, one church, 
all Christians in fellowship and in harmony. We will be full with the richness and blessings of our King and our Savior. And we will be united together, all races, all creeds, all God's children together and satisfied in Him. Now, Paul moves on. Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Paul just pointed to the central thread that flows through all Christians, and this should be the bond that unites us, the bond that breaks all other social barriers, but the, the Corinthians were making a mockery of it. Hopefully the middle part of the sandwich that we just dined on can shed light on the hypocrisy in the church then and today. Today the church segregates on Sunday morning. We have cliques and groups and classes. We have the haves and the have-nots. We have power struggle and fights over the color of the carpet in the sanctuary. The children of God act like plain children of God. Like children. And this is specifically what Paul is talking about. This letter was written to a specific church with specific problems, though it had great application for us today. Paul is saying that the unworthy manner they have been eating the Lord's Supper has been disgraceful. That manner was the way that some were full and some were hungry. Some were drunk and some had no wine. And he is addressing the divisions and the factions that are blatant abuses of the gospel. That is the unworthy manner that they had been eating and drinking. And for that, they will be guilty. But let me pause for just a minute, just a minute and, and hover on this text because it has been and can continue to be a stumbling block to some to come to the Lord's table and dine. First, Paul, again, is admonishing specifically the manner in which the Corinthians were abusing this ordinance. They were treating as holy remembrance of Christ unworthily, meaning they were not giving it proper reverence when approaching the table. But this is different than saying they were unworthy of the ordinance. You see the difference? Personally unworthy or partaking unworthily, which is what the Scripture says. It is true that in ourselves, now it's important, in ourselves, we are all on our own unworthy of an approach to the table of the Lord. We are in ourselves unworthy to be regarded as followers of the King, and we are unworthy of the promise of everlasting life. But for the Christian, your worthiness is in Christ, and He is worthy. If you are a Christian, then you have been blood-bought by the King, and your worth is therefore no longer the sum of your accomplishments minus your failures, but rather your worth is in the person and work of Jesus Christ alone. Isn't that worth celebrating this morning? Isn't that worth singing about when the band gets back on stage? We are worthy of approaching the banquet table of God's grace to dine because the grace that has been bestowed upon us through the very blood and body upon which we dine. Christ and Him crucified. Let's move on to verse 28. Paul says, let a person examine himself then. 
And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. For the Corinthians, it seemed that this meal was being consumed to satisfy one's physical hunger at the cost of another's. They were eating in an unworthy manner. And Paul is saying, you better check yourself. He says, let a person examine himself. Again, this doesn't mean your worthiness, but it does mean, or mean make sure you are partaking worthily. Are you coming to the table spiritually hungry, looking for a spiritual meal? It is right, and we prompt it every week to pray for the Holy Spirit, to examine our heart, to highlight areas of repentance, to highlight areas of sin that we have not brought to repentance so that we can come in a manner acknowledging the gospel of Christ, acknowledging our sin, and acknowledging the body and the blood of Christ that was shed for us. This also includes the question, have you accepted Christ's free gift of grace? Am I a Christian? This is important because the Lord's Supper is to be taken by Christians who are partaking in remembrance of the act of salvation that was on their behalf by Christ. Therefore, anyone who has not accepted Christ as Savior and King, whether a child who's sitting with you or an adult that's sitting beside you, should refrain from participating. We are thankful that you are here and we want you to participate in every part of our service. But the Lord's table is off limits to, to those who have not professed Christ as King and as Savior. Also, we must examine the manner in which we are partaking. This most fully points to the divisiveness and quarreling in the church. The Corinthian church was overrun with this contention. And Paul is saying to eat the Lord's Supper with a contentious or divisive spirit is to eat and drink judgment upon yourself. So I want to commend the Gospel Community Church and warn you. We at GCC have been a family from day one. And most of you know, to be part of a family is not easy. We've been a family from day one, but we have been united in something far greater than our music style, our way of dress, our gender, our race, our salary. We have been united in Christ, and that has been a beautiful thing because it had brought a motley crew of sinners together to worship their king. And... We are one argument away from a church split. We are one feud away from a church collapse. We are not immune to the pointed nature of this scripture. And we must check ourselves, our hearts, so as never to bring judgment upon ourselves or this church. If you have bitterness, anger, or resentment, brewing in your heart this morning for another member of our church, then confess it to the Lord today. 
Give it over to him and be an active part of healing and reconciliation between you and the other person, lest you become a fracture in the walls of God's church. When we consume ourselves and others for nourishment, we continue to starve. And starving people do desperate and despicable things. And these things bring about the judgment of God. But read carefully what Paul says at the end. When we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. What is in view is God's judging of Christians as sinful saints. Paul says in Romans that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, but there is discipline. God will use whatever manner needed to discipline his children in order to draw them into obedience. The church in Corinth was a mess, and there were Christians in that church. Some had maladies fallen upon them like sickness and death, and some inside the walls of the church were not Christians at all, as Paul says in the previous section about the factions. So there is judgment on the world, and there is discipline in the church that we may be drawn into one accord and into obedience with his ordinance of his body and his blood. Let's finish up. Let's finish up with verse 33. It says this. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. So that when you come together, it will not be for your judgment. My brothers and sisters, in Christ, come hungry to church. But eat before you get here. Or at least wait until after you leave. The body and the blood of Christ is the only meal that satisfies our souls and unifies the church. Therefore, in points of application, we must dine on the word. If you have not been nourishing your body with the very word of God and communing with the Lord in prayer, then you are most likely spiritually starved. Just like food, we must have a constant supply of spiritual nourishment for our souls. But the scary thing is, when we quit feeling hungry, this is a major warning sign that we are in spiritual starvation. If you, through the assessment of the word this morning, feel as if you are in that category, if you feel that this morning you are spiritually starved, do not leave here this morning without talking to me, without talking to Pastor Kirk, without praying with one of our prayer team members that the Lord would put new taste buds in your mouth for his word and that you would dine and be full. Second, come hungry to the supper. Every week we set aside all else to dine on the broken body and the shed blood of Christ as represented by the bread and the juice. We do this in remembrance of the mighty act of Jesus that purchased for us our hope and our salvation. Come recognizing your hunger. Come recognizing your desperate need for that very act that Christ did for you. And last, Walk in unity with your fellow sinner saints. Look to your left. Look to your right. This is your forever family. We are one. 
not united in sin, politics, music style, race, gender, but united in our Savior. Therefore, be an agent for peace and reconciliation in the church. Partake in the meal that unifies. Let us pray. Lord, you have set before us this morning a meal. Your very word that we can consume to nourish our soul because your word tells us about your body that is life to the believer and your blood that makes us clean and able to come into the presence of the Father. Lord, I pray that, that your, 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 your spirit is just compounding the, the mumble and jumble of what I just said and how I said it. And applying it perfectly to the heart of the hearer. That your word would not go out void. But it would reap a harvest of repentance and faith this morning. We trust you. Love you. May we consume this meal this morning. United as one body. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.